everyone, it's me again in the progressive community. This is a very close-up shot. I don't know if I'm feeling that. Um, <laughs> I'm in again because I've got double podcast bookings today. I was on with Kevin McDonnell earlier, and now I've got the wonderful Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> so we're recording for our podcast. Mine is Keep It Real with Khadija, and Nick's is... Is Scale Up Your Business with Nick Bradley. So, hi, Nick. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Busy. Crazy busy. amount of stuff going on, but I think so everyone busy. seems to be at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's good though, right? That's what we love. Yeah. I, I don't th- think I could have a slow-paced life now anymore. No. I, it's funny. One of those things, actually, you know when people say, when you're actually doing what you love doing, it becomes your mission. You're not yeah. really working. To get to that point in your life takes a bit of energy and effort in its own right. But once you're there, it's great. Exactly. It's so true. So podcasting. I'm yeah. new to this. Very new. So I need to ask you, your podcast has been going for a while now. Yeah. How yeah. are you finding it? How many episodes are we on? How's so it going? I, I started now. It's probably coming up to about three months. And you know what? To be frank about it, I actually sort of spent a bit of time before getting myself ready for it. Yeah. And that was partly because I wanted to commit to it. And really kind of, you know, when I'm going when I'm to do it, I'm going to do it. Mm. But it was also because it can be quite daunting. It is. It's not so much about putting yourself out there. That's okay. You kind of get better at that. But just, you know, you got to produce the thing. You got to come up with the topics. You want to make sure you're adding value back to your audience. So true. So I wanted to think that through. I guess I'm at that stage now yeah. where I've, uh, you're my sixth episode, cool. as in not in that order, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how many people I've <laughs> sat with. The thing that I'm finding a little bit scary, if I'm honest, is chatting to people and being more like a chat show. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy and I love. So all six episodes so far have been with guests. Do you do many episodes just you speaking? You know what? This is the first one where I'm actually doing one with another person. Oh. So all of this. So I've done about 15, 16 episodes now, and it's just me. Oh. And again, when I started, so I sort of recorded a number of episodes, didn't really practice too much, but I did a few episodes. And then the first episode that I launched was actually the last one that I recorded. Oh. And if I sit back and think about the first one that I actually did and I listen to it now, I kind of cringe because <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, wow, Don't, you can be, be your me. own worst critic, right? <laughs> but um, what I found, there's a couple of things that I've found since doing it. It becomes quite cathartic yeah, because there's so much stuff that you've got, you know, your experiences and your career and all that sort of thing. To get that out in some sort of creative way, mm. which is obviously what podcasting is, it feels really quite relaxing. Like therapy. Yeah, in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's more than that. It's like um, I don't do any sort of retakes. Yeah. So there's a bit where when I go, I go. So you know, if I don't drink enough water and I start going, you know, whatever else, that's not great. But, yeah. But I just get into a flow. Yeah. And I think because I've done a lot now and I'm really clear on the topics – then that's become quite easier than what it was in the beginning. Okay, so you can help me with the individual me speaking. Yeah. And I'll help you with the guest stuff. Perfect. Yes, okay. Perfect. Match made in heaven. (laughs) Terrific. So your podcast is called Scale... Scale Up Your Business. Scale Up Your Business. And so tell me a bit about that. Why Scale Up Your Business and what are your skills that are helping people Yeah, let me take you through it. So um, my background um, probably the last decade definitely has been going into private equity and venture capitalist-backed businesses and essentially trying to scale them up so they create value back for the investors. So I've worked very much on that side. So what that looks like to kind of make it come alive is... A lot of the time, someone from a private equity firm will invest in a business and then they want to buy other businesses and bring them all together. Mm. And then everyone makes a lot of money when they sell the whole entity, mm. um, normally for uh, multiples on what they call profit or EBITDA. And uh, I got a bit of a reputation for going into businesses that had been invested in 
but weren't performing well. Oh. So they'd bring me in as a bit of a troubleshooter. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, I don't know how I got that, that sort of thing. Some people call it change management or turnarounds and that yeah. sort of thing. I sort of say I'm you know, a, a specialist in scale-up because when you go into those businesses, there's normally a few things that are happening that are actually quite easy to fix yeah. if you're you know, looking for what those things are. Yeah. So these days I go in, I, I sort of change often the leadership structure, I change the commercial model to make it more predictable and precise. Wow. Lots of outsourcing and leverage, mm. all with the attempt of creating more value from that business. Mm. So I've been doing that for you know over 10 years. And then more recently, I started doing that sort of more for myself, wow. um, buying my own businesses. So I've got a portfolio of businesses that I own outright. Amazing. But what's interesting is I then go in and, and put the same methodology of scale up and yeah. the principles of scale up into those businesses so that I'm creating, you know, value for myself, but also helping individuals who are struggling in those 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 types of businesses get to where they need to be. Oh my God, I love this is so like music it. to my ears. So I guess you know about my cleaning business. Yeah, yeah. So I awesome. downscaled after the apprentice and I have actually listed it for sale. And I was yeah. speaking to Kevin about this quite openly in the sense that I don't know, it's not something that I ever envisioned that I would own a business, a cleaner business. It's not like I was like the cleanest teenager and my room was so tidy and everything was lined up. No way. Is anybody like that? No. Well, no, no I don't think so. Um, but my daughter was born unwell, my eldest. She's oh, nearly wow. five. So my business, cleaning business, was circumstantial and I put a lot of effort into it for the four years. And I guess, I don't know if you come across a lot of this with businesses that you buy, but I kind of just got to the point where I thought, this is not my passion. And this wasn't my passion. It was a circumstance. And so to be clear on that then, so you started this business out of necessity? Pretty much. So yeah. I studied a law degree and then I started working for the Financial Ombudsman Service. Yeah, yeah. Had my daughter in London, born unwell. She was at risk of cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. So I had okay. a bit of postnatal anxiety. Moved back to Peterborough because this is where I'm from. And I googled a cheap business to start. And a cleaner right. business was one. So I went to Wilkinson's, I bought £20 worth of cleaner products, I ordered a Hetty Hoover on a Littlewoods catalogue to pay monthly, really? and I used to take my daughter with me in a three-door polo and clean people's houses. So you're doing this with your daughter, yourself? With Yes, it's how it started. Wow. And then okay. I employed my sister within school hours because she's got a young son and then her friends wanted a job within school hours and before I knew it, before I went on to The Apprentice, I had 34 employees. So I came out of The Apprentice having not won, I then had the option to look at my business. And I'd spoken to Lord Sugar, you know, when we're in the boardroom, it's a lot longer than what you see on TV. Yes. And there were things that he said about the business, like, Khadija, it's not going to work like this. These projections won't work. This won't work. And I would be stupid not to take a billionaire's advice on board. So I came out of The Apprentice looking at the business and really kind of looking at myself and thinking about what I want to do. And definitely what excites me is helping people selling, motivational speaking, yep. and property. So do you think you've now, you're clear on your mission? I'm clear on what makes me happy, exactly. Okay. Good. Instead Good. of being stressed over something that wasn't necessarily making me happy. Don't get me wrong, I love the business. Like, I still love it now. We have six employees and it runs, but I love it when I'm not involved on a daily basis. So in terms of that whole entrepreneurial thing, so yeah. whereas the, I totally get the necessity of having to do something yeah. yourself and that must have been difficult, but you had to do it, right? Yeah. Were you entrepreneurial before that? Was there something like if you go back to when you were a kid or school or yeah. whatever, because going to do a law degree 
is not, not normally an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial thing. No. no, exactly. Do you know what I will say? I've always been a hustler. Okay. So I don't know whether entrepreneurial is the right word, but when I was at uni, I had three jobs. I used to work at Phones for You. Do you remember that? I do remember that. For those those of you that didn't do that. Yeah. For the live (laughs) that's watching, here you go. Phones for you. Do they they make you do that? The job interview. That's it. Training. Training is that. And then you've got to. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Um, So I worked at Phones for You. I worked at a shisha bar and I worked at Pizza Hut. And I used to, on a Saturday, I would work all day at Phones for You. I would leave. I would go work at Pizza Hut for a couple of hours. I'd then go to the shisha bar until 2 a.m. in the morning. When I was 14, I got my first job over in Serpentine Green at Hot Stuff. So I guess I've always hustled. I came from a family that didn't have a lot of money. My mum's a single mum of four children. And so I guess from an early age, I always knew that if I wanted something, I had to work hard for it. My mum says when I was about 12, I used to always say, this is not the life for me. I was, you know, when you know, like I hear celebrities say, I just knew that I was destined for something more. I guess I've just always felt like I'm destined for more. That's a, you know, that's a belief system, right? So without getting too much into that, because, you know, we could talk forever about this. Yeah. A lot of the time, as much as I say scale up your business and you think, well, what is that? That's marketing, it's sales, it's all that. Yeah. 70% of the conversations I have a mindset. Yeah. Always. So So if I go into someone, and one of the things I always say is like, Someone who can start a business is not always the person who can scale them. Yeah. But quite often it's because someone's got a self-limiting belief mm-hmm. or something that's driving them, which means that there's a blockage and they can't go forward. Yeah. So the question I have for you as you were talking then was that belief system is massively strong. Mm. The hustle is an interesting play, but what's the why behind it? And you said it actually, which was to do with the, the fact that you had to, yeah, the why. Step yeah. Out, you've got Family. Step yeah. Yeah. So is that the most important thing to you? I think so. I think in, in my family, I've taken, and I've, I hear this from quite a lot of entrepreneurs, actually, is I've taken almost not the matriarch role, but I'm the eldest of four. And so when my mum would be struggling or down or frustrated from a very young age, you know, you become like a mini adult. So I would be 12 years old sitting in the kitchen talking to my mum's friends, you know, that type of thing. So now, even as an adult, my siblings are, I mean, my brother's 20. What am I going to be? 30 so he's coming up to 24 so we've all got two years apart so 30 28 26 and 24 and he's at uni but I've almost I wouldn't say mothered everyone but kind of mothered everyone in a roundabout way and I've always carried that weight on my shoulders and my mum's fine for me to talk about it because she acknowledges it herself that she wasn't in a great place and as a mum now I've been through depression postnatal depression and anxiety so I totally understand what my mum was going through but I guess I've always had this even now I need to be successful so that I can make sure that they're all taken care of so not just my kids my mum so you've got a massive drive behind that a drive as in to make sure that everybody is okay there's a thing i mean you just reminded me of something so there's a there's a thing um concept around pleasure and pain is what drives someone to take action yeah. right so you kind of get this if people are not doing what they should be doing or not doing what they want to be doing they're attributing one of those two things mm. right so i long long story short i mean years ago i did a psychology degree so i bring a lot of those principles into what i do wow. also in business but also the investment side but the pain and pleasure thing is interesting so the example that was given to me was if someone smokes a lot, yeah. and everyone knows, you know, there's enough science out there to say it's not good for you. Yeah, they don't stop it because they attribute too much pain to that situation. Um, so it's too much pleasure to that situation versus pain. Mm. And only when the situation reverses, it could be like your child coming up and saying, "Dad, you know, I know that's going to kill you." That something stops you, and that quotient moves. Yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah. So kind of when you were sort of saying before about 
the why and, and why you do what you do. It's because if there's something that's been so painful that's driven and you've seen all that stuff going on in your family, yeah. that's going to give you the impetus to make that decision, makes you step up and go forward. It really does. But to the point sometimes it's to my detriment where people say to me, you're taking on too much or you're doing too much. Do you feel or like you're making... you are? No, because I enjoy it. But then... I don't know. Maybe every entrepreneur, I think you have so many highs and so many lows. And I remember speaking to someone that I consider a mentor and she said to me, Khadija, a normal person's kind of ups and downs are like this. And an entrepreneur's ups and downs are like this. And I remember that all the time. So when I'm having a, because I can go from something really bad has happened in the business and I'm having a full on ugly cry face meltdown in the car, like blubber. And then I get out of the car and 20 minutes later, I'm like, no, wait a minute. I'm about to take on the world again. You know, like Uh, that's what we do. I think it's just, that's not going to keep me down. There's a bit where like some people like to have a life of, I'm going to say mediocrity, but of certainty. Yeah. Right. So Everything is more or less what you expect it's going to be mm. until it's not. Yeah. Right. But those are the people who tend to sort of, you know, back to your great analogy of ups and downs. Yeah. They try and keep it as level as possible. Yeah. But that's not realistic. One of the things that drove me, this is a while back now, but I was sort of in the corporate world for a long time yeah. before the private equity stuff. And I was reliant on an income from an employer, right, mm. which is the majority of people, actually, yeah, when you course. think about it. Yeah. But when that was taken away from me quite suddenly and I couldn't afford to pay for my family for, you know, just living, yeah. I realized that was the switch. That's I had to it. change it. And actually, this idea of certainty exists, but it doesn't exist, and you have to kind of take control of your own future. Yeah. I'm usually sort of analogy again, a bit like The Matrix, if you've seen that movie. Yeah. The Red and the Blue Pill, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, There's a bit where as soon as you take whatever pill it is, I can't remember the exact thing in the movie, yeah. you realize that you're in a totally different situation to what you think you're in. Yeah. And I think that entrepreneurial journey that I sort of speak to a lot of people about, everyone has it in them. Yeah. But there's only a point in time where they realize they have to explore it and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And most people, once they do that, they actually, you know, realize a certain level of freedom in themselves mm. because they're actually following what they meant to do anyway. Yeah. I love that. But on the other hand, I've made some stupid mistakes because I'm so go-getting, risk-taking, not safe. So my partner, Simon, our relationship has been up and down because (laughs) of the fact that we are chalk and cheese. He's very stable. He's got a good job. He's a quantity surveyor, et cetera, et cetera. I am risk-taking, but never... I would never gamble, for instance. I'm not risk-taking in that sense. I'm risk-taking for success. So if I think something is going to change my life or change my family's life, I'm willing to do it. Whereas Simon will probably think about it for six months and then by that point, the opportunity's gone. Do you know what I mean? And most relationships, I find they do have that chalk and cheese element because if you had two of you risk-taking together, then you would be going crazy and and everything. You've got to have balance. There's There's balance. I've done a heap of uh, Tony Robbins stuff, right? Um, Heaps of it, actually, like for years. And there's a thing that he talks about, which is called human needs. Yeah. And everyone's got the same six. Yeah. You might have seen this and studied it yourself. Yeah. But certainty and significance are the two main ones that people have. doesn't matter who you are, um, but they're also the most polarizing because they're the ones that are defined by external factors. Mm. So you can't be significant unless someone thinks you're significant. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. But of course, if you're living your life in that world all the time, it becomes quite difficult. Yeah. But to your point around the differences between, say, your partner or whatever, you'll have the same needs, but his needs will be slightly different. Yeah. So he might have certainty or uncertainty or love and connection or other things in there, which means that how he operates and how he thinks is different to you. But you're right. You know, there's a bit around if you were both the same. (laughs) Imagine. It would be mental. Or some people have an emotional need, which I think from people that have watched the show or seen me, 
I think sometimes my emotional need is very limited and I don't know again like you said that could be from external that could be from past or whatever but I find sometimes with entrepreneurs you forget about your emotional happiness because you're so focused target driven so I find a lot of the time I'm I will say something very bluntly because I'm not very aware of how it comes across to someone else's emotions because I'm not sensitive so therefore I think other people are not sensitive so why can't they just understand what I'm saying and get on with it you know and that's what I find a lot of entrepreneurs are like so I fit into that category which is nice because my whole life I've been branded as the girl with the big mouth or the one looking for an argument actually what I've realised is I have entrepreneurial traits so I fit in with most entrepreneurs that I meet however do need to work on it a little bit yeah, particularly if you're scaling. So, you know, if to get scaling, into that, yeah. you know, scaling's about, you know, you have to have people in your team. You know, it doesn't mean you have to employ them all, by the way, but you yeah. have to have people in your team. There's no way you can do it by yourself. Otherwise, you're just a, you know, solopreneur yeah. or you've got a business which is a lifestyle business. Now, yeah. if you want to build an empire, which I know that's one yeah. of your things, yeah. right? The only way you can do that is through effective leadership and effective leverage and effective kind of thinking differently. Yeah. That's funny. Again, Having your, some emotions. But your traits... <laughs> are exactly, I mean, a lot of people I work with, your traits are exactly what they're like. But that's the point, is they have to kind of almost get out of themselves a bit and realize that their role is to be the entrepreneur, but they have to have other people around them that are going to take the other roles that are necessary yeah. to scale. Because I try, but it doesn't always yeah, work. But you, but you don't have to, you don't <laughs> I don't have to want to change. change. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not going to. Yeah, you're that's not going to. Thing. And I think this is the other thing people think. I mean, there's a, there's a client I'm working with at the moment who's CEO, founder of a technology business. Yeah. And... I've had to say to him, you are not going to be the CEO of this business. Oh, wow. Right? Now, that was not an easy conversation to have. But when I put the um, the wrapper around the why of that, he got it. So he's going to be like the president or chairman. But we have to bring someone in who's going to be the driver of that business because his world and the way he runs it is not what's going to take the business to the next step. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, this. That's why I say about the psychology is massively important. I never say I to people – change don't yeah. change you're not gonna change you understand who you are right. be really clear on what you add mm. and then go and find the elements that you need in that the are business. missing yeah yes and that's how you do it and mo- it sounds such a simple concept and as i say it sounds simple but you made the point the emotional side of running a business and scaling a business a lot of people struggle with that piece yeah like hr yeah and just just it's having to manage thing. people but you've got to you think about it you can't do it either way yeah hey true. i've got a question for you go so I'm curious about The Apprentice, and of course, I don't want to just talk about The Apprentice, but why did you go on it? So you've just um, so I can go back a bit. You've got your cleaning business. You've, yeah. you've managed to build that you know, quite successfully from, yeah. from those beginnings. And then The Apprentice, why? What was the attraction of that? I mean, I've always been a diehard fan of the show, for one. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> yeah, like, so have legit, I. always loved it. And I've got to be honest here, I've, I, there, there has been a couple of times where I've thought, perhaps I should apply for that. Oh, my, you should. I was just doing too many other things, and You're it wasn't so that, sure. but I thought I, I wouldn't do it now. Did you but, watch my series? No, oh. I was in America a lot. Oh man! Um, you know what? I'm, I'm, I have seen. I, I have seen some episodes. Have you? I have seen episodes. Was I as aggressive as everyone was making it? Yeah. Yes. Ah, but yes. It was good. But you know, I've got so many questions about this, but I don't go. want to go too much into it. Okay. I, Just I, I, ask me a couple. Okay. So, well, firstly, why did you want to do it? Okay. So, I love the show. I love yep. tasks. I love competing. You know, sports day, whatever. I was always there, hungry. Yeah, I'm a salesperson. Okay. I'm literally yeah, yeah. a hustler. So when I would watch it each year, like everybody else, I go look at them, idiots. I could do it better than them. Uh, as if they bought that, didn't they know? And um, my favourite contestant has always been Louisa Zisman. Yeah. So okay. she was very fiery. She told people how it was, and so I applied, and I thought 
I'm quite similar to Louisa, I think. The way I am, the way I speak, the way I have, I can't help it. If someone's being stupid, I tell them they're being stupid. So I applied, if I'm honest, didn't think that I would get on. 50,000 people apply for it. I thought, why? Yeah. So I thought, why would they want me, Khadija from Peterborough, that's just started a little cleaning business and isn't paying herself very much? And, you know, because I'm not huge multi-millionaire entrepreneur I'm just you know a girl in her mid-20s who started a cleaning business from a circumstance but I guess in the auditions I was with Sabrina she was saying something like guys guys do we all know what turnover is do we know what turnover is and she must have said it about four or five times and I said listen I don't know why you're talking about turnover. We all know what turnover is. We've all got businesses. Let's just get on with the task at hand. And I think, honestly, that line got me on the show. Wow. <laughs> just quick, be it myself. You know, you, obviously, you've, you've gone through it. And the thing you said before about, you know, there's this stuff that's going on there that, you, of course, you're never going to see on the TV show. Mm. But, you know, those lines at the very beginning. The cringy ones? Yes. How, how was that set up? I mean, <laughs> they say, I mean, come up with the most cringe stuff that's yeah. going to mortify you for the rest of your life. Is that, is that I mean, and even worse, <laughs> I'd had like, I think a lot of takeaways before they filmed that. So wow. I watched it. Not only was I saying cringy stuff, but I had a moon face. So I was there like, oh, I knew the camera adds 20 pounds, but this is a joke. Yeah. So mine was something like, I'm a badass mumpreneur. Uh, whatever I say is going to happen, I make happen. I'd liken myself to Beyonce because we're both badass businesswomen. We both are mums and we both have curly, frizzy hair. Nice. That's perfect. That's just for you, Nick. Now, did you cringe? <laughs> no, <that's like laughs> when I watched it, honestly, I watched most of it back because so we filmed it and it was around this time, so April to June, I came back on my daughter's fourth birthday, the day yeah. after, sorry. So I was away for two months and then it doesn't air until, say, October time or whenever it was. So... I had all of this like bubble that I couldn't talk to anybody about. And then when it aired, I literally sat there watching through my hands. But I'll be honest, I said a lot more aggressive stuff than what got aired. So I was quite happy. I was like, oh, they've only got a little snippet of how aggressive I bet it got easier over time watching yourself as well, because there's, I mean, back to your point around how do you do a podcast by yourself? Yeah. Um, There's a piece where you just become comfortable, a bit more comfortable that that's who you are and that's how you need to come across. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can't lie. Sometimes I said something to Tom, um, I'm head chef, I'm not your mum. And I kind of high-fived myself in the delivery when I was watching it. Yes, Khadija. Yes, that was a good one. I said something to Daniel like, uh, you're acting, you thought you deserved an Oscar, but actually you just sat on a deck chair all day. Again, I wow. was like, yes. So that these was things good. just came, these lines. Uh, they just came <laughs> out and I thought I would watch and think, oh, Khadija, you cowbag. Actually, I watched it and I was really proud of myself. So yeah, I'm cool. proud of the aggressive Khadija that's about, I mean, I'll be but honest. you said at the beginning, that, I mean, that's kind of you anyway. Back to your, your point around empathy, you know, not, you know, calling things as they are in business and whatever else. That's yeah. you. So there's but a one that. thing, there's a difference between me is I'm not a bully. And I don't like people that bully. I don't like people that are nasty or manipulative or unkind. I'm never that. Both of those comments I've just given examples. I'm head chef, I'm not your mum, and you think you deserve an Oscar. To me, they would be bantful little throwbacks, which are telling the truth, but in a funny kind of way. So I never would try to be unkind to someone. I think that's hard when you go on a show like The Apprentice and you come out and you have people literally telling you on Twitter for two months that you're aggressive, that you're nasty, that you're evil, that you're a bully. And actually, I get on with every 
every single person in that house. Some more than others, particularly Sean and Camilla. I'm very close to them and they were the semi-finalists and finalists. I was with them at the weekend. So if I was so nasty and so aggressive and such a bully, how come I have so many friends from it? Do you know what I mean? I mean? That, there's, there's a whole heap of profiling to make you appear what you need to oh, appear of course, for yeah. it. But in terms of what happens, what's happened afterwards, so you said beforehand you always want to go on, you like the show. Cool, yeah. that's right. But there must have been a thought also that this is going to change trajectory. Yeah, my because life. of the profile piece, of you know? course. And so, what was you, what what were you hoping it would do, and what has it done since? So, if I'm honest, I was hoping I would win. Right. I did not go on with any other intention than to win that bloody show. I should have spent more time on my business plan and I should have included my products because Lord Sugar had a point, a services business. You know, it could become a big monster. The more contracts you win, the more yeah. people you need to employ, sickness, this, that and the other. Like, it's stressful. Since coming out, I launched the Rhubarb Collection, which is a hand wash and a home mist, and we sell them letterbox size. And I spent, I launched the products on the 17th of December before the final episode. And they're selling well, but I haven't really put enough effort into them. So that's something I'm working on now to push those. The cleaner business are downscaled right down to just six people. So, in answer to your question, I went on to win. I didn't win, but since coming out, I've utilised other opportunities like motivational speaking, like podcasting, like yeah, networking with great people and that profile, they can have a profile brands. boosting and doing all of that stuff. So I'm doing a lot of that. And also I kind of messaged Rob Moore here um, because I've been part of Progressive for a long time. And I said, look, I really want to get into property. I've been talking about it now for four years. I had a meal with Catherine Turner, Rebecca Smith, Jackie Tomes and Tony Gargan three and a half years ago. And at that point, they were kind to start in their property journey and they've got multi-million pound property portfolios now and joint ventures and da 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 and yes I have been on The Apprentice so I don't feel like like I've, I've stayed stagnant but I also feel like okay well now's time for me to start doing that because I really enjoyed that so got it. yeah and what's the if you think if there's one thing that you learnt from the experience that's helped you and maybe one thing that you thought you know actually wasn't what you expected but what's what, one thing that's really helped you from there and what has it been business knowledge see when you watch it as a viewer and you're a fan like i am you look at it just as oh there's a donut task they're selling donuts in islington it's not that you've woken up at 1am in the morning you've then got a car to the bakery in london you're then standing with the baker learning how to make donuts and the whole process of their manufacturing process and how they get the donuts out etc 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 what flavors go into it these tasks are over two three days so you learn about so many different businesses you know donuts was one i made a comic we called it mc gogo and we had a little rap in there i went to where they <laughs> awesome. create uh, dennis the menace comics so we were there for three days and we learned about how to create a comic so from that it was almost like business boot camp I went in and I had the pleasure because I stayed in for so long of being in every single task so I did everything from selling sports equipment at NEC in Birmingham to making donuts to making comics to going to Malta and trying to find items you know so I came out of it like, wait a minute. Because you, you were on there pretty close to the end. Very close to the end. Yeah. yeah, I came fourth. But so to me, I've come out, people say, what do you learn? I'm like, I know a shit ton about business now. Yeah, you know, yeah. stuff that I didn't know before. I got the pleasure of speaking to Lord Sugar. He acknowledged me and my skills. So, I mean, also, 
another big thing I got from it is confidence. Yes. Confidence in my abilities, confidence in the way I look at things and that my thought process is actually okay. And I'm right in a lot of what I say and think. And I was commended for a lot of the things that I said and thought. As much as you have haters and trolls, I have a lot of women particularly, and men, but women say to me, Khadija, I love how straight talking you are. I'm like that, but I get misunderstood. People think I'm being this way, but actually, you know, my intention is always right. And if I could just help some people acknowledge their thought process, then that's great. Yeah, awesome. So I have another question for you. Sure. So we were talking about scale up your business, your podcast. You've also, you said you've bought or you have a portfolio of businesses now. So what is your current project other than the podcast? So what is kind of your daily hustle at the minute that you're working on? Yeah. So I've got back to what we said sort of the very beginning, you know, when you're entrepreneurial, you've just got so many different things on. Yeah. If I think about my day, I mean, I'm really structured about my time, like, like, you know, to the point where I plan everything in advance. And I've had to do that just to be able to do everything I do. But I've got the the podcast is one thing. There's some public speaking stuff that I'm starting to do around the niche that I'm in, which is obviously helping entrepreneurs create value and create lifestyles they want. I'm in the process of looking at three businesses to acquire. Wow. And there's something quite interesting about that because I target a very specific type of business. And there's there's a lot of people out there who started businesses sort of in the, let's say, 70s and 80s, and they're reaching retirement age. And the only way you can actually sell a business is three ways. You can sell it to another person, you can sell it to an organization, or you can sell it to private equity. Mm. And if your business is not big enough and you haven't got a succession plan, then you know there's a lot of businesses that just get closed down. Mm. So all this all this time you've invested in something, instead of walking away with, I don't know, some retirement money or something you can you know travel the world with, you end up in a situation where you've got nothing. Mm. And that's quite common. Yeah. So I, I've been spending a lot of time on that recently because, A, I enjoy going into those businesses and making them perform better. But from a con- contribution standpoint, uh, the number of times I've spoken to uh, people in their 60s or even 70s, and they're like, you know, you've just come and saved me from something here. Wow. And they just don't want to be in their businesses anymore. Mm. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then, you know, I'm doing quite a bit of mentoring at the moment as well. Quite early stage startups. So from Mm. the podcast, a lot of people come in and want to know what needs to happen just to get going. Mm. And that's a lot around just getting people in the right, as I said before, space of mind to do it and have the impetus to do it and then feel that there's something to pull them into that. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it is, as I said, mentoring people who are stuck in that sort of wilderness zone, Mm. that being defined as... The business is not big enough for them to be able to remove themselves from it. Mm-hmm. They're usually time poor and money poor. Yeah. And they're not quite sure how they're going to take it to being either a performance business or an empire or anything else. I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. It's, it's the hard. entrepreneurial journey. It it's is. the entrepreneur. The one thing that I would advise anyone is get yourself a virtual PA. Yeah. Catherine Turner introduced me to my VA. She has a business and um, she is amazing. Did you she go does- offshore for that? Did you, Philippines. Did you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. No, thing. She is amazing. So she helps. She sends all my messages. She responds to things for me. She manages my calendar. So what I would say, and to those of you listening, when it comes to scaling up your business, and I think you'd agree, yeah, if you can't yet afford to take on an employee, which is a stage that all of us get to, definitely look at a VA in the Philippines. I mean, we're talking two, three pounds an hour, yeah, full time, dedicated Absolutely on crazy. your business. That's a good income for them. So you're helping them out. Equally, it means that you're not spending too much. I mean, I made the common mistake in my cleaner business and I hold my hands up. 
I needed to look credible. So I got fleet vehicles. I got fleet insurance. I got HR help. I got this. I got that. I My overheads were so high that I wasn't paying myself because I thought I needed all this stuff. Now I have one car and the other drivers have their own cars. And I look at myself like, Khadija, you idiot. Why did you spend the last four years spending £384 a month on fleet insurance? Yeah. when you could? But if you don't earn, you learn. So there are things now that when I'm mentoring other people, I could go, look, I screwed up here. Don't make the same mistake that I did. And Rob Moore says, um, learn from other people's mistakes, not your own. So if I can help other people learn from what I've messed up, but how would I ever have known any of this stuff if I hadn't done it? I mean, I'm a big believer in saying that none of these things are bad, right? There's a bit where, you know, they're they're experiences that you have to go through on the journey anyway. Exactly. Everything serves you, right, ultimately. So if you've gone through that and then you take that back and you apply it to someone you're mentoring, how could you have mentored that person had you not have gone through exactly exactly but um your point on on va and leverage and all that so one of the things we do particularly you know to try and help an entrepreneur get themselves out of the way yeah. which is part of the thing is absolutely look at low cost outsourcing mm-hmm. you know vas particularly offshore vas i've done exactly the same thing as you yeah. leveraging expertise at low cost but high impact and, and one of the things Again, if a business is struggling for cash flow, which is yeah. usually the first thing, mm-hmm. you can focus that really, really cleverly on the marketing side. Yeah. So you can outsource all your marketing for low cost, high impact, particularly if you start to feel more comfortable with your own personal brand. Yeah. And you can get inbound inquiries to your business really quickly. Yeah. And a lot of people are still trying to go, I don't know how to market my business. I'm not sure what to do. Yeah. But those opportunities are low cost. As Literally. Said, really well, it's crazy. I was on the phone to a potential mentee this morning and I shouldn't really have given this information away of my time, but I did. And their situation to me was, I'm not sure about uh, being a mentee with you, Khadija, because my main issue is that I need more leads. And I went, right, okay. Well, I can help you grow your business so that you could get more leads. I've been on your website and I noticed that you don't have an email capture box. Is there a reason for that? Oh, no, I don't know. Okay, well, let's put an email capture box on your website and everybody that comes on before they look at your menus, they need to put in their email address and it will save to the cookies. And then if they're on the same computer, they don't have to keep re-entering it. Oh, right. Okay. And that is why you should pay for my mentorship because I've learned this stuff. Do you know what up? I mean? Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now sign up. Um, but that's the point. You know, often people think that their problem is one problem. But actually, no. his words to me were, I don't need help with marketing. My marketing is fine. Your marketing's not fine because if it were, you would have a lot more no. leads than you have. This is what I mean, though. These people, they get confused and they panic a little bit. Yeah. There is a process to this. I know Rob Moore speaks about this and I speak about it a lot too, is you've got to start with the vision. You do. And if the vision has to be a personal vision as much as it needs to be a business vision. Mm. So I always sit there and say, and I use the term standards actually, what standards do you want in your life? And that's mm. things like, I don't want to work weekends because I'm going to spend it with my kids. Yeah, I have or that one. I've, yeah, I've got that one too. Yeah. Um, or health is really important to me, so I'm going to go to the gym every morning and mm-hmm. I'm not going to work, I'm not going to start work until I've done that. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole heap of them, right? But you start off with that. And also, how do you want to spend your time? You yeah. know, do you want to travel three months of the year? Do you want to work virtually? Do you want to go, you know, all those things. Yeah. You start with that and then you retrofit that back to your business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and either your current business is going to get you there or it's not. Yeah. If it's not, then you need to pivot and change. Yeah. But if you don't do that piece, then you're not going to have the inspiration to be able to go forward and do the other things. Exactly. And then they get into what you just said. Hey, question for you again. Yes. Because um, you started with this and obviously you say beforehand you've got your cleaning business and you want to kind of do something else. What's the – in terms of why you want to sell it as opposed to scaling it and having someone run it and it just becomes a resource for cash for you? You know, I have – yeah, it's a good question. 
So when I came, a couple of months ago, actually, this is crazy, I was approached by a big company in Peterborough that asked me to tender for 700 properties, the communal areas. Pretty easy job, communal mm-hmm. areas, just hoovering, wiper downside. I've had some staffing issues recently since it's coming out, accusations of not paying, and I'm very open about this because the podcast is called Keep It Real, so let's keep it real. Um, when I came out, I was accused of not paying adequate travel time. Now, the way we've always paid travel is you get to the first job, you get paid travel in between, and then the last job, and that's domestic cleaning. There's no accurate case law on how you should pay travel pay. But cut a long story short, I had a bit of a bitter employee and she went to HMRC and then I had this big issue with them and it's still kind of ongoing and they're looking into how you should pay travel pay. Granted, it's not that big of an issue because it's a cleaning business. The turnover of staff, they would stay maybe six months or whatever and then leave. Also, anybody that did work, they did like 16 hours. So even if we owed them an hour a day, it's like £800 a year. So it's not not bank-breaking amount of money. So it's not something to be really scared of. However, that put me off scaling up because I realised that actually when you employ people, they don't necessarily give a shit. Sorry to be candid. They don't. And so I'm there working my arse off trying to get really good contracts for them to be in a job because I'm not paying myself and I'm the one up late at night chasing the money so that they could get paid on payday and still not paying myself and they'd go and clean a house and not clean it properly and then I would have to send other people back to fix the job that wasn't done properly and so when I was approached by this big contract I had to have a little argument with myself and part of me was like okay hold on so if you won this it'll be 350 grand a year one contract over three years you could get it they approached you you've got this huge profile you're an eco-friendly cleaning business you've done a lot you could equally do you want to employ these people again don't get me wrong I've had some great employees but sometimes you get to the point where you're like enough is enough my children are only four and two do I want the stress of 50 employees that are not going to turn up they might, but they might not, who are going to let me down, who are not going to clean properly, who are going to tarnish my name because I'm there winning the contracts, but actually it's reliant on them and whether they can be bothered. And so that's the reason why Got I didn't. It. Do you know so what that I mean? sounds, to summarise that, that sounds more like your passion for that particular business and what you're doing is not there. My passion is there. Working with people that don't give a shit is not there. I can't work with people like that. That's what I've realised. But in terms of cleaning as a thing, is that something that you're... Yeah, I love... Do you know, I love it. I love going into people's homes. I love property. I love... I loved my business. I love my business now with the six stuff I've got. Love every single one of them. I'll take them out for dinner. When you scale up... You don't get those six staff no. multiplied by a hundred. You no. don't. You get you get, well, no, you get bad eggs. You get a different thing, but the, the only way to manage that is to take yourself out of it. Take yeah, and if in, a, in, I, a, in, a, in an operational sense, yeah. Is what I mean, I mean, yeah, we could still apply for tenders and win them, and I could take myself out. And I'm not I'm not running the business now. My manager Zoe runs it for me. But every now and then, I still have to get involved. You know, there's little yeah. things that need me. I mean, you're right to a degree. If I'd won that contract, I could have got a manager to run everything. What Do I trust them to do it how I do it? I don't know. And then ultimately, yeah, I just don't. Uh, uh, but you know, the, uh, whole, the whole thing, as, as, as you know, your, your mission, if you like, to build an empire, which, you know, an empire is not... Would need, rely on having a lot of people to run it. Everything we just spoke about. So there's a piece, it's the interesting thing about the conversation on this is... So it's like, do I want an empire or... Do you want an empire? Because, I mean, I do, right? I know exactly what my empire looks like to a really clear level of vision. 
don't know exactly what it looks okay, like. Okay, so I'll just run your empire. No, but there is some, you know, empires, everyone, the concept of an empire is a difficult thing. Mm. The reason I want to do it is because there's a mission I have above and beyond the commercial side, which I, I want to get to. And the only way I can get to that is by doing an empire. Yeah. It's not about the money because the money side of it to me is there anyway. Yeah. Because I've had, you know, I've had been quite successful with exits of businesses in the past. Yeah. So I'm not worried too much about that. The lifestyle's fine. Yeah. But I want to be able to make a difference back around entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so the only way I can do that is by having a bigger piece of that. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I loved employing people. I would give them fleet cars. Like I said, I would take them out for lunches with their kids. The thing with me is, I wear my heart on my sleeve to a degree, even though I'm not empathetic and I don't think about what I say. I would do anything for anyone. And I think you get to a point when you've given your life and soul to these people for four years for them to burn you. It does make you think that I I literally said I never want to employ anyone again, like ever, 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 like I'm done. But since that, I've realized, wait a minute, there are great people to work with. Maybe I just wasn't in the right industry. That is a very, very difficult industry. It's a services industry for one. It's a mobile industry for two. It's just above minimum wage pay. So, you know, people are coming, they maybe don't want to be there for a long time and you can't blame them. Cleaning isn't everybody's idea of heaven. It's most people's idea of hell. And it's just a chore that they don't want to do. Cleaning houses day after day after day could become monotonous. So I'm not stupid or unrealistic in thinking that you're not going to have this amazing team that want to come to work every day because they're really passionate about cleaning someone's toilet. Some do, the majority don't. And I just got to the point where I was like, okay, what can I do now that's going to serve me? Now I will go and do a speaker gig and get paid £1,500 for an hour and come out of it feeling like I've changed the world. Me slogging my guts off and not being present with my children to let everybody else get paid at the end of the month and then to be burnt afterwards is not something that I want to do right now. I think that's clear. Maybe I want financial freedom, not an empire. Back to the point around passion and mission. If you're doing what you love doing, all of those things you said wouldn't be there. True. So there's a bit where actually the thing you do becomes interesting as well. So what I, I mean, I love spending time with entrepreneurs who are struggling to scale their business. Yeah. So the reason I do the podcast and all that is because I'm really, that that feels absolutely congruent with my values. Yeah. But it wasn't easy to get to that. So I had to, I had to go away and do a lot of thinking about what do I like doing? What am I good at? What yeah. do I want to be doing in the future? Yeah. To then bring it back. I mean, it took me probably a year wow. of... Real reflection, and I was, you know, I was reading stuff. I was trying to seek out mentors and coaches. I, I spent a lot of money on myself. I invested probably the first year about twenty thousand pounds wow. of just getting out there and trying to learn from the best. Yeah, and a lot of people go exactly what you said. Wow, you that's no, paid, but you should. That's yeah, paid I agree. Back, I reckon twenty five, yeah. thirty times. No, yeah, you know, sure. since then. But also, what it's done is it's got me really clear, mm-hmm. and that's the piece. But then, then the empire becomes part of the clarity, mm. not the end destination. Yeah. So, but you know, it's we'll it's, get there. You'll get there. Yeah. God, I've gotta... done what made yeah, I've done what made me happy at that time. And one thing that I do want to put out to entrepreneurs, I think. Scaling up your business is a great concept and everybody wants to do it, but equally know yourself. Yes. Like, no, yeah. you could 100%. sit here now and, conv- and and talk to me to the cows come home about scaling up Opal and Pearl and I could categorically, hand on heart, tell you it's not happening. And that's not because you're not a good salesman. That's because I know myself. There are some people that would think, well, I've proven myself now for four years and Opal and Pearl was on The Apprentice, so I should really push it because everybody else would want me to and everyone else is telling me it's a good idea. 
everyone else is not there when I'm in bed crying at night because I'm not enjoying yeah, what I'm doing. I can doing. tell, you know, but even even a small thing, but quite an important thing, your body language says it says it all. Yeah, exactly. You can see it. So it's just like, a no. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, but the thing is, but the point is, on that side of it, it's just you've got to find something that really excites you. When you when you talk about public speaking and walking off the stage motivated, etc., your your whole body language changes. Yeah, exactly. So straight away, you know the answer. Yeah. It's just about how do you bring those things together. Yeah. But I mean, I, I've got a belief rightly or wrongly, that most people want to help people in the way that they can help, yeah. right, in whatever way. And if you find what that thing is that you're really special at, mm. you know, and that could be motivating women, it could be motivating people who have been disadvantaged, it could be whatever the thing is yeah, for you, so then everything changes yeah. and then there's no work anymore. No, it's not work. And honestly, this to me doesn't feel like work. No. Podcasting's not work. Going and talking at schools doesn't feel like work. So that's the thing. Well, you your find mission. your You've got yeah. it. You've got it. So that's it. To change the world. Focus But a one-man band that has no employees. (laughs) Well, you end up having employees, but they may not be what you call traditional employees. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there you go. So awesome. Wow. So yeah, so your story is excellent. The entrepreneurial journey, as I call it. So thank you for sharing that today. Oh, no. Thank you so much. And it's so great. I feel like there's so much more to talk about. So many questions that I have. I'm sure people that are listening are wondering how they can either scale up their business or buying and selling businesses. Like, that's really impressive. When you said that, my kind of ears perked up because that sounds fun. That sounds fun. And the other thing just to say on that is you don't have to spend any money. Wow. So there's some clever ways, you know, we can get into it another time, but there's ways of doing it where you're just, you're leveraging the businesses to buy them. So a lot of people kind of, it's a bit like property. People don't go and try and build property portfolios because they think they have to have lots of capital. You don't need capital. You just need to be able to have the right, systems in place and the right infrastructure to do it but it's not difficult to do it so i always say to people you know do you want to be an owner operator or an owner investor Mm. an owner operator is someone who's obviously has to run a business i have no real intention of doing that certainly as i progress into my career in the future but if you're an owner investor exactly like owning a house you don't have to be there every day you know one of my mentors travels around the world he's got 17 businesses makes eight million a year yeah, I can't say his name because we'd be embarrassed. Yeah. But he literally has businesses in Australia, in Florida, in the US, and he literally just travels around every three months visiting the businesses, but he has a really strong person in running them. Right. This is up my street. Let's do go. this. <laughs> let's do let's do this, this one. Is this, a whole no, this is a whole nother episode. This is an episode, is yeah. <laughs> Cut and we'll start again next week. 